I love to tell the story of a young man who was witnessed to by some sailor friends. He was uncertain of what was going to happen when he died, and he wondered about his own guilt. His grandmother died, and he went home for his grandmother's funeral. When he got to the bus station to come back to Great Lakes Naval Air Station, he was looking for something to read, and he had these spiritual questions boiling in his heart. He looked up on the stand there in the bus station, and there was a book by Billy Graham called Peace with God. And he read that book and came to know the Lord as his Savior, and that sailor was my dad. So I'm Billy Graham's spiritual grandson, you see. Billy Graham devoted his voice, his, his energy, and his passion to being a herald of the gospel, to, to speaking of eternal things. Now, you ever notice some people almost never talk about things that matter a lot? Some people almost never talk about eternal things. It would be easy for us to, to go through many days talking about things that really don't matter that much. And the reason that we appreciate Billy Graham is because he devoted his voice to talking about things that were eternal. Some people talk about empty things all the time. Some people talk about evil things even, right? Eleanor Roosevelt was widely considered in her time to be a great woman, and she, she was uh, to have said this. She said, small minds talk about people. Have you heard this? Small minds talk about people. Average minds talk about events. She said, great minds talk about ideas. We could argue about that if we wanted to, but there's a kernel of truth in that, isn't there? There's something about a person and their heart when there's a, a greatness in, in their heart. They talk about ideas, and they don't spend their time talking about, a lot of their time, talking about empty things for the sake of empty things. And maybe that's why Jesus said, he said, we will give an account to God for every idle word that we speak. Once there was a man in a church I pastored long ago who was discouraged and he thought maybe about not returning to church. He said to me, I said, what? why wouldn't you come back? He goes, well, the, the guys in the church that I talked to, he said, they never really want to talk about anything but sports and gardening. They never want to talk about anything that matters. I, I will tell you, I haven't been here at Bethel long, but you will find many men and women who want to talk about things that matter here. But how sad, how empty is it when our lives are just filled with like empty talk? Some of us, what, what, so what, when you talk, what do you talk about? And this is an important question to ask. What do you talk about when you talk? Some people, they, they, their, their talk isn't really even so much empty as it is just wrong. What they say is wrong and how they say it is wrong. Evil things. And sometimes even Christians can give into that. My my daughter Hope is in a Bible institute, a good one, a good one. And she called me the other day and she said one of the instructors that visited was, is probably a good man in many ways, but what he did was he salted some of his lectures with questionable words, words that were like swear words. And she said, I, it bothers me. What should I do? I said, well, here's what I think you should do. Go to the Bible and write down passages of Scripture from God's Word about the tongue and about your speech, about what you should talk about. Write them down in a sequence. And then when he's lecturing, and he's no dummy, he's a good man in many ways, I'm sure, and when he's lecturing, he's going to have a polemic, he's going to have argument for why he's saying what he's saying. And so the minute that you challenge him, he's going to answer you with an argument. So I said, hope it should be kind of like this. Just raise your hand and say, but doesn't the Bible say in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer? And then he'll give you some high-sounding answer and then, then say something like this. Didn't the apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter 5 that no foolishness, filthiness, or foolish talking or coarse jesting should come out of our mouth? And then he'll probably give you an answer. And then say something like this. Didn't Peter say in Peter 4.11, when we speak, we should speak as the oracles of God? And then he'll probably give you an answer. And then when you, when you hear that, then should you say something like Proverbs 18.21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue? And then he'll probably give you an answer. Then maybe you should quote a verse like this from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16 and through 18. In a crooked and perverse generation, we're supposed to shine as lights in the world, not complaining or using bad, you know, bad language. And then he'll have another answer. And then maybe you should come back with Ephesians chapter 4 that says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The scriptures are full of that. And in our day, some people, even Christians, think they can't connect with lost people without talking in a wrong way. And then I would say, read some missionary biographies. Read of Hudson Taylor and read of D.L. Moody and ask yourself the question, did they have to uh, go and participate in the evil of the world and talk in an evil way in order to be a representative of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. So when you talk, what do you talk about? You say, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm not guilty of, of, of bad words. I'm like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Maybe you don't use coarse language. Maybe you're like me. You were raised by a mother that would wash your mouth out with soap if you use those words. And so you've learned not to use those words. But would you say you never complain, you never criticize, you never murmur? Because you're a perfect man, the Bible says. James said, you're the perfect person then. A human being can't tame their own tongue. Only God can tame our tongue. So when you talk, like when you talk, what do you talk about? What do your words tell us about you? Somebody said it this way, based on what Jesus said, the tongue is the dipstick of the heart. <laughs> tongue is the dipstick of the heart. That's what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, a person speaks. If you want to get to know a person, just listen long enough, and they will explain what they're like by what they say. When you talk, what do you usually talk about? Now, that's the heart of it today when we're talking about growing a family with a lifelong love for God. Last week, we did say this love for God has to be in you, and the words of God have to be in you so you show them. But then this week, you know, we're going to say you tell them. The text is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, fifth book in the Bible, Deuteronomy and chapter 6. And here's what it says. Now, you understand the setting, right? Remember, the setting is the people are returning now to the promised land, which they, they failed to go in and take the promised land before, not because God wasn't faithful, but because they weren't obedient. And now they're going to get another chance. That's the way God is. And, he said, and, and Moses is going to speak. And in Deuteronomy, these three long discourses are recorded, three long messages by Moses that he's giving to the people so they have a second chance to go into the land and do what God promised that they could do before. And in this case, it's not chastisement. If you read carefully what Moses says, his messages aren't chastisement. The reminders of the faithfulness of God. And so that's the reminder that we should have. 
this is a dark world that we're living in. This is a hard time to influence people to live for God. It seems almost impossible for us with all the forces against us to raise children who know God and who love God. It's almost like only God can do that, and that's what we need to remember. God, the God of the Bible, the God that Moses is preaching about, is our God, and he's every bit as faithful today in our dark time as he was then in that dark time. And so we have this beautiful pattern that's here in chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. So that, so that was last week. Love God and have these words embedded in your heart. They're who you are. They're the soundtrack of your life. You, you have transformed your thinking to think God's thoughts after him, to love God's law in your heart. If you want to influence other people, you really can't usually influence other people to be something you're not. That was last week. So then this week, it is about what you say. You notice this now. The text is one simple verse. It's verse 7. Let's read the text for today. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk when you sit in your house. Teach, talk. How you talk. Teach, talk. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them and notice there's four settings. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise or when you rise up. That's it today. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. The, the, what I want to challenge you to think about today is going to be organized around those four different places where you talk about not evil things or empty things, but eternal things. It's the, the idea here is that a person that is filled with the love of God and filled with the Word of God, often, even though they talk about all kinds of things, they always bring it back to things that really matter, things that are eternal. This is the soundtrack in a person's home that's a devout follower of Jesus. Teaching, which is formal and repetitive, I call this the joy beanie. I will explain that in a moment. And talking that's informal and natural, I'm going to call that the dump trips, the joy beanie and the dump trips. My mother formally taught us. She came to know the Lord in a little children's Bible club, and so she was devout in doing children's Bible clubs. There were different ones, joy, good news clubs. She would send us out like little evangelists in the neighborhood to gather all of our friends in, in the backyard of our house. She would spread out quilts, and she would teach them the Bible, teach them Bible verses, teach them songs about the Bible. She was diligent about this. We lived in a little town called Logansville for a while, and I remember that, I believe it was every Tuesday afternoon, as soon as the bus stopped in the little village of Logansville, we were to encourage all of our little friends to go with us to what they called the Joy Club. 
Have you ever heard of the Joy Club? It was a little movement, the Joy Club. It stood for Jesus and others and you. And if you're really hip and cool, you can actually sing the song, Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. It was the Joy Club. And if you were a diligent student in the Joy Club and you memorized your verses and you listened to your stories, you got prizes. And if you, were, if you got the top prize, this was a long time ago, peeps, you got the Joy Beanie, the Joy Beanie. It was red and it was white, it was felt, and you wanted the joy beanie. It proved that you were a Bible scholar. I, you're looking at a man who has, I currently own, the joy beanie. You're probably not surprised to know that my head's too big for the joy beanie right now. You'd probably like me to show you the joy beanie. I have it, but it's not with me today. The original joy beanie had macaroni letters, J-O-Y, but the second iteration actually had little red felt letters sewn to it. You're looking at a man who owned the joy beanie. Now, why did my mom do that? Because she knew the Bible says there should be formal instruction in the scriptures. If you want somebody to have a love for God, then you should be a diligent student of the scripture. And there should be, that's the sit down. This is number one, use formal doctrinal foundation in the home to talk about eternal things. That's the sit part. That's the joy beanie. Some of you were involved in Bible quizzing when you were young. If you were involved in Bible quizzing when you're young, you're old now, right? Because we just don't do Bible quizzing anymore. But we got to figure out other ways to formally give the truth of God to kids because this is what the scriptures say. Sit down and learn this formally. That's the joy beanie. Then there's the, te- that's the teach, and then there's the talk. And then, so the teach is like the formal, and then the talk is like the informal, and they're both very, very important. It's really important. Can I just give a little... little um, Uh, advertisement for the hour that precedes this hour. If you come for this hour, I just want to challenge you to think about getting up an hour earlier or getting around an hour earlier and taking in the first hour. And and there are a couple reasons. One of the reasons is because it's a formal teaching of the Bible. It's people who have a high view of the scripture and of God and one another, and they're saying, we're going to spend this hour in the study of God's word. Your pastor is more of an exhorter So you want to make sure that the other people that are in the body that are specially gifted at teaching at a a different level, that you sit under that teaching. I'm telling you, it will be to your benefit for your relationships and for your spiritual life to add that extra hour. And there's sometimes there's even like coffee and donuts and friendships. It's not that hard. Get up an hour earlier and be a part of it. Myself, I was encouraged this morning because we were in a class talking about Peter and, and details and specifics about Peter that you just really don't have the time always to study and to kind of line out. It was edifying. I just encourage you to do that. And you want your children in, in an age-graded kind of a program where, where they have uh, a sequential teaching, sort of a scope and sequence. People, Christian people, back through the centuries have catechized their children with questions and answers because they recognize the Bible teaches that if we're serious about God, one of the things that we're most serious about is giving training to our children. You all know that sometimes children walk away from the Lord, even after their mind is just full of all this training. And you've all heard stories, right, about people sometimes in their 40s or their 50s or their 60s or their 70s coming back to God because they never forgot the training that they received when they were young. This is what God's Word says to do, to teach, which is formal and repetitive, and to talk, which is informal and natural, like the trip to the dump. So my dad was frugal. He was careful about not wasting money, and so he would, he would often take a task that was mundane, and he would kind of, um, he would, he would make it a lot of fun. 
and like going to the dump. He was like, oh, we're going to the dump. And everybody was like, good, can I go, Dad? Um, it was like, you know, we never went to Disney World, but we did go to the dump. And, um, <laughs> and we would pilfer through the dump, and we would pick out things. Dad would say, if there's something here you want, you can have it. And, you know, and so we would get things. I have a book in my library I picked up in the dump on River Road in Logan County, Ohio, when I was about eight years old. Um, but then there was always that thing where uh, you, dad would say, oh, let's stop by the river now and let's like toss some rocks in the river or shoot our BB gun. And then there would always be questions that would come and answers that would be given. And you knew you were with a man. Jesus was everything to him. And so it, he wasn't pious or syrupy about it, but everything kind of went back to that. And this is why, this is this talk, this informal, natural time, when you're driving along and when you're walking along and so forth. Now, there are four times to talk about eternal things that are really clear in the text, and you get them, right? Sit, walk, lie down, get up. Sit, walk, lie down, get up. Just cruise through that for a minute and think about that, and just think about this in terms of influencing people. Even if you don't have little ones in your home, you might have grandchildren, or there might be the kids that are next door. I, one of our members of our church uh, we were talking, we were visiting their home, we were, we were talking to them, and uh, their children, their grandchildren are a long way away. Uh, but they were telling me what they did in order to train and to teach and to love on the little kids that lived in a trailer not too far away. And they were sad because the kids kind of came and went from the trailer. But I thought, what a beautiful thing that Christian people, even though their little grandkids aren't there, and they can't be with them every day. They went and found some kids that lived in those trailers, and they tried to show them their skills, and they tried to show them their love for God. There are people in our lives that we can influence, and this is how we can influence them. We can influence, if they're willing, by formal teaching and by this informal talk that, about things that are going to eventually end in ultimate things or in eternal things, and you do this formally when you sit down. Uh, our daughter Hope, one, one day, when she was really tiny, was, I was getting her her breakfast, and she was just so fun to be with. That she was a precocious, bright little girl and quick with little answers, and I wanted to get her to talk just because hearing her voice was sweet to hear. And so I was getting some oatmeal out. I said, you want uh, cereal or do you want oatmeal? She said, I want oatmeal. I said, you want maple syrup or do you want brown sugar or both? Maple syrup. I said, you want whole milk or 2% milk, you know? And then I, I ran out of questions, and I was trying to think of more questions. And she just, little tiny things, she goes, will there be any more questions? <laughs> it's like, I was reading a book by Raymond Moore, who was an educator. And Raymond Moore, uh, and I was intimidated about, you know, training my own children. And Lois and I wanted so much to raise them to love the Lord and to know God. And I was reading this book. I, I, can, I can remember where I was, lying in bed, reading this book, feeling intimidated about teaching them. And, and Raymond Moore, who was this uh, brilliant educator, he said, all children need to learn is an inquisitive mind and a warm, responsive parent. And God already gave them an inquisitive mind. And I, I found that was so helpful. I can be, I thought to myself right there laying in bed, God, I will be a warm, responsive parent. And you've already given them an inquisitive mind. Little children have inquisitive minds. Young people do. They're a little more complex, but they have questions. And we can listen and we can, we can show, be warm and responsive to them. So there should be Sunday school involvement. There should be a scope and sequence of systematic biblical instruction. This is something that we should be devoted to. The scriptures actually command this. And so it should be something that we're serious about. Francis Schaeffer was an educator, was a pastor, he was an educator. He went to Europe to counter some false teaching there. And while he was there, 
he, he, he found a place that was near the train station that it was accessible to most of Europe where he would have to travel in the kind providence of God just happened to be in the Alps, in the Swiss Alps. And his daughter was a student and she began to bring friends home. And when she brought friends home to ski and to try mom's brownies, they began to realize they could have conversations in their home about the things of the Lord. And kids that had wandered away from the Lord would come back as they visited Francis and Edith Schaefer's home and they ate Edith's brownies and they listened to Francis's lectures and they skied in the Alps. He noticed that, you know, Europe had been very, very Christian. It was becoming less and less Christian. And one of the things he noticed in a little village of Champray one day was that at six o'clock on Saturday night, the village, down in the village, they would stand up on the mountain, they would look down into this little village and the church bell would ring. And he thought, why does the church bell ring at 6 p.m. on Saturday night? And he asked around, no one seemed to know the answer until one day he discovered an elderly man in the village who said, well, I will tell you why they, they do it b- because of tradition now, because the, the church is closed and it no longer has services. But they always rang that bell at six o'clock on Saturday night to remind everyone that they needed to prepare for worship. I just want to give you this treasure from my heart and, and treasure from my family, and that is that the Lord's Day begins on Saturday night. And when you say, tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and tomorrow is the day that we have devoted to the worship of our God and to, and to biblical instruction. And we take this very seriously and our hearts begin to quiet on Saturday night. It's as if we hear the bell ring through the mountains and we say to God, I'm preparing my heart to worship you. The influence of that on children is very, very powerful. So there's the sit down, the formal time, and there's the walk that's using continuous practical application about eternal things. When, when, I, uh, when my, my sons, uh, I wanted to influence them, they're a little bit older. It's a little bit more subtle when they get older and not so much lecture and more listening and more, more time together. And, and I decided that I would want to influence them, especially influence them to see their lives could be used for the gospel in the state of Michigan here, that, the state that we love so much. We love it more than Kansas. We just love Michigan. Um, and uh, I mean, Kansas is nice, but we really love Michigan. Anyway, and, and I, said, um, I said to the boys, we're going to go to North Manitou Island, we're going to hike. And what I did was then I prepared stories of gospel advance from the history of people who love the gospel in Michigan. And, um, and they were just like adventure stories, just amazing stories, like the story of the founding of the Hiawatha Land Baptist Mission, or the story, I understand the story of the founding of the Youth Haven Ranch. It's a powerful gospel advance Michigan story, right? There's stories that started here in Jackson. The founder of uh, Camp Barakel was a youth pastor in Jackson at one time. And, and there were stories of uh, uh, Dr. Savage over at, uh, in Pontiac at First Baptist who, who had a vision to start a Bible conference that was called Maranatha. And the stories are just powerful stories. And so what I did is we hiked all day and we spent ourselves. And then when we built, the, or when we started the little jet boil to make coffee at night, we sat around, and when the time was right, I said, hey, guys, let me tell you a, a story. And I like to believe that my sons would realize that the thing I was most excited about was the advance of the gospel in the state of Michigan. And that, they, that, that would wear off on them. There's like an informal thing, like my dad did this with me when he would be making hospital calls or running errands, and always he would bring up a, a subject that was weighty or important or significant, or he would listen to me. My brother-in-law, Bob Dunbar, who's with the Lord now, I wrote up a series of questions. I called it 23 questions to open the heart of your child. 
23 questions to open the heart of your child. And had these questions with me, and Bob was interested in these questions. And one day he said to me, Ken, you know what I did with those questions? And I said, no. He said, I put them in my wallet. I folded them up, and I put them in my wallet. And then a, a lot of times I'd be irritated because my kids would be playing soccer or they'd be involved in some extracurricular thing and I would have to drive them to that and I would have to wait for them. But then I thought to myself, no, this is a time I can use. And so before I would pick them up, I'd get my wallet out. I'd open up that little piece of paper and I'd read one of those 23 questions to open the heart of your child. I'd put it back in my wallet. And then when they get in the car, I'd let them talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. But then if the conversation would drag, I would ask them one of those questions about what kind of music they liked or what kind of books they like, or what they think about their future, or what kind of questions or problems they're having, or is there somebody that's hurt them that's hard to forgive, or is there something that they've done that maybe they need to talk about? And Bob is with the Lord now, and I love to watch his children on social media and see that they're going on for the Lord because Bob and Linda devoted themselves to the informal kind of organic kind of teaching. Um, the, the friends that I like hanging around with the most that are like, that influence me spiritually are the kind of people that are always kind of not syrupy in a pious kind of a way, but in a natural way, bringing up things that really matter in questions. For instance, um, I, I try to do this myself. If I am driving along with a group of men and I might say to somebody there, tell me how you came to know the Lord. And now the conversation is going to get rich. Just use that question from time to time. Tell me how you came to know the Lord. It's kind of like saying, where did you meet your wife? And then just listen. And they tell about what's really important to them. Or, or, or the question I, I often think about, I was writing a book on this, and, and I was speaking up in Canada, and there were little clusters of groups that were, they were, uh, that they were eating together. And they, I'm the speaker, so they said, you can eat with any group you want to eat with, which was interesting because you could kind of wander around and try to figure out what they were making. So what do you have there? You didn't want to be too rude, like buffalo. Okay, that's nice. What are you having? Squirrel. Oh, yes. anybody having steak? Can I find a steak here anywhere? Um, they're great folks. Um, anyway, I, I remember I would go from place to place, and these were people who really love the Lord. I'd sit, and when the conversation would lull a little bit, I would say, to, I would say do you ever feel like God spoke to you? You ever have an experience where you feel like God spoke to you? And then the conversation would turn toward eternal things, and people would get, begin, to, and then it would just be a deepening conversation, a sweetening, a, and it, and, you know, a, a ultimate things, a significant things, eternal things, asking those kind of questions. I used to drive Amish when I started a church, and I needed some extra money. I would drive Amish folks, and these were evangelical Amish folks who really knew the Lord and loved the Lord. And, uh, and when you would drive them, I discovered that the question to ask to get spiritual conversation going that was going to last for hours and be really rich was, so who preached Sunday? So they had a rotation of lay preachers, and I would just say, so who preached Sunday? And then back in the van, maybe Bobby would say, well, it was uh, Peter. Peter preached on Sunday. How's my Amish? Am I doing good? Yeah. Peter preached on Sunday. Have a little Amish thing going on there? You didn't notice it, did you? No extra charge for that. And he would say, yeah, Peter began to talk about that, and then this. And then the guys would be off talking about the things of the Lord. This is what you want in your home, not to be pseudo-pious, or strange, or never to talk about basketball, or never to talk about gardening, or never to have any kind of fun, but always and ultimately 
to, to take people where their souls long to go, whether they know it or not, and to talk about things that are eternal. This is how you influence people spiritually. I had a roommate at Moody. His name was Paul David Heiser. And I, to, to this day, I remember with great fondness lying in bed, that, how we would lie in bed, he on his side of the room over there, on the other side, and me, and then we would talk about things that we believed and talk about things we dreamed about. And it was such a rich fellowship. And we would pray together. And then I would always, he would always fall asleep before me. And then I would always talk and then he'd stop talking. And then I would go to sleep because I could talk longer than he could listen. And then I transferred to another college and it was like animal house. My roommates were thugs. They were lowlifes. They never talked. They were, it's just the way it is. Look, I remember them. I know they were just crude. They were crude in their language. They were crude in their humor. They're crude in their behavior. They never talked about things that were eternal. It was like a totally different world. I want to be the kind of guy that's like, when you get around him, it's something about, you know, he'll just ask questions about you. And then when you walk away, you feel enriched. This is the way you want to be to influence people spiritually, especially your children. So there's this, when you sit, you talk about eternal things in a formal way. When you walk, you talk about eternal things in an informal way. When you lie down, you use frequent review and evaluation at home to talk about eternal things. If you're a parent, your kids do irritating things. They do, right? Like when they fight with each other. I mean, my kids never fought with each other, but I've heard about people in the church, their kids, like, like fighting with each other. Um, you know, there's a, there's a dispute in our home maybe about the, you know, the curling iron. In our house, we have we had a lot of girls with curling irons and flattening irons and straightening irons. There's double curling irons. You could fry your circuitry easily with that many girls with pretty long hair. And every once in a while, I'd be like, give me my curl. Be, they also love it when I bring this up. Uh, anyway, y- y- that could just be irritating, right? You could just say, why is this? We have to have this. Or you can say, wait, this is a moment of instruction. This is a moment that we're going to introduce. How many times I've said to the kids, who wants to be like Jesus right now? Who wants to be like Jesus right now? Well, maybe that's kind of irritating, right? They probably didn't appreciate that very much. But bring it, you understand? So, so for instance, the, well, I remember when my dog died and somebody was thoughtless and they killed my dog. Then my mom and dad taught me about forgiveness, right? In a powerful way that I will never forget. And then many years later, a thoughtless neighbor killed my son's dog. And then we sat under the light on that fall night and I taught him about forgiveness. I remember when I stole from my school and my dad taught me about repentance and about restitution. I remember a friend day at our church when I taught one of my sons about evangelism. Do you see what I'm saying? That this is the lie down, the frequent review. Nighttime is a good time for confession. It's a good time for review. It's a good time for questions. And then finally, the rise up. So, so to go over it again, use formal doctrinal foundation to talk about eternal things. That's a sit down, formal. And use continuous practical application to talk about eternal things. That's the walk, the informal. And then use frequent review and evaluation to, as times to talk about eternal things. That's the lie down toward the end of the day, when you bring your thoughts together at the end of the day. As a, as a, as a grandpa now of eight and a father of eight and all the kids out of the home, I'll, I'll tell you something that will help you and save you heartache, that, a mistake that we made. I was really eager to do this when our kids were young, and so I would get them up really early in the morning. <laughs> 
a teacher that I made the mistake of listening to who actually didn't have any children or a wife said that I should wake them up with March music. I guarantee you this man had never done that. And so I just thought he was awesome. So I just woke my kids up with March music, which made me, which made them seem really demon possessed when they got up in the morning. Like it wasn't, wasn't really good. I tried a whole bunch of different things. Mostly in my right, Lois, it was too long. Lois sometimes wouldn't even get up. She's just like, go ahead. It's like, she always had a baby, a little baby. And she would be like, I can't do this, you know. And, and, and I would be lecturing them, you know, and I'd be, I'd be, I have these little charts and stuff like that. And if I had it to do over again, I'd keep it a lot simpler. I would just see to it that every day I opened up my Bible in front of them. And I, and I read a brief passage from God's word. And then I would see to it every day that I would just pray with them and give them a chance to pray about the stuff that was on their heart before they left for their day and maybe sing a song and let them go and don't torture them anymore. If I were you, and if I still had kids in my house, I'd let them see me reading the Bible. And I would let them see me praying to God. And I'd let them see me thanking God for all that he got from me. I would never want them to wonder if Jesus was everything to me. And if you're going to influence somebody, then that's how you're going to influence them. And God will, God will help. And then, and then the diligently, the, the rise up, the idea there, you know, it says it earlier in the passage in verse 7 there, diligent means up early, and it's priority, it's the first thing, you know. It's the thing that's first. You may not do, you may not be able to gather your family in the morning, but there is a way to show, you know, that there's a priority about you guys seeking the Lord. I would feel sad if my boy knew how to throw a curveball, but he didn't know the books of the Bible. I'd feel sad if I'd spent a lot of money on my daughter's cheerleading outfit and stuff like that, but she couldn't explain the gospel because the cheerleading outfit is important. That's important. Throwing a curveball is important. Hitting a curveball is even more important. But knowing God, knowing, I mean, a kid that can hit the curveball, like a, like a Kirk Cousins type of a guy, he can hit the curveball. But when that, when it, you, you see him at the Big Ten banquet, look that up. Lot, there were more Michigan State fans that raised their hands, whether U of M people are shy today, what's up with that? So, but, but, but when you look at, the, go look up on YouTube, the, the YouTube video of Kirk Cousins speaking at the Big Ten honors banquet one time there's a kid who can throw the curveball and somebody taught him to love jesus christ with all of his heart you know this week i i got to thinking about you know billy graham who didn't think about billy graham and we will this week and 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 the question that comes to your mind right when you think about billy graham is is well who's going to be the next billy graham who in the world is going to be the next billy graham did you think that and maybe you have that discussion. Like, no, nobody knows that. I suppose, you know, one answer is there ain't going to be another Billy Graham. There's only one guy quite like him. But if you pay really careful attention to his life, his message was very simple. He emphasized the gospel. When he was at his best, he just gave the simplest, clearest gospel. So I'm not Billy Graham. And you're not Billy Graham, 
And Billy Graham, the next Billy Graham probably isn't in the room. And, and, but I will tell you this, the same message that Billy Graham gave that changed the lives of people, you can give to people who, don't, who will never meet Billy Graham. Who will you pray for? Who will you love? Who will you talk to about Billy Graham's Jesus? No, that's the bigger question, right? Would you stand with me? And I want to remind you about something. This could be a chastisement to you. Oh my goodness, I've said things I shouldn't say, or my, my conversations have been too empty. Remember what Jesus' brother James said, if you're perfect with your tongue, you know, the, 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 no human being can tame the tongue. You need God's help. And we have a, you probably guessed, we have a series after this series. And that series is going to be specifically how to conquer to, tools to build a holy life or weapons to fight against sin. But I will tell you, if you're like I am and, and you got convicted when you read the passage, you talk about what do I talk about? The best thing that you can do is just to say to God, honestly, God, I have said empty things, or God forbid, I've said evil things, but I want to devote myself to, to speaking about eternal things. And so I confess my sin, and I aspire to speak about eternal things to people who know the Lord. And while we sing this closing song, why don't you talk to the Lord about that? We're going to have folks here to pray with you. If you want to come this way because you need some counsel or encouragement or prayer, if you want some fellowship, and head out that way when we're done.